Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 117 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 117, uh, Scott and I are going to be talking predominantly about a new question type that is going to show up uh, this coming uh, quiz season, the 2022-2023 quiz season. And I say that it's new only just because it didn't show up last season, but it was here the season before that, but then not before that, and then the season before that, and so on you get the idea. It is the famous, perhaps even infamous situation question. We're going to talk to you about everything that you have ever wanted to know about situation questions, but we're too afraid to ask. Uh, We're just going to go down that rabbit hole and see how far it goes. But before we do that, a couple of announcements before we get into situation questions. So the first one is there is a new technical way of producing the rule book. Um, so I just figured out the technology, I don't know, a couple days ago or sometime last week, I think maybe Thursday of last week. Um, no, it was on Friday. Yeah, it was on Friday. I figured out the, um, the last bit of technology to render the rule book with, uh, a table of contents with internal links, searchable PDF, you know, a paged HTML structure so that, you know, it actually has page numbers and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and just for Zach as an early uh, Christmas present, a cover page even uh, on some of these documents. So all of this is basically launched into a side project, not as part of the rulebook project currently because the rulebook project itself is uh, they're kind of not locked down, but they're in that, that period of time based on change management where they've got a revision ready to go. And people right now can, um, you know, debate the actual revision itself prior to that revision becoming officially adopted, uh, basically right at or after IBQ. I'm, I forget exactly the timing of that. So anyway, this this um, this new technological alteration, I parked it separately from the project because I didn't want to mess that there the the rulebook committee's process up at all. So it's parked separately. However, it currently works and it actually has generated new rulebook formats based on the current live rulebook. So if you're interested in getting a preview to that uh, under the current rulebook uh, set of things, uh, please email us at iq at cbqz.org and I will reply with a link to where you can view those things and stuff. Um, now it's cur- it's currently rendering the current rulebook, the rulebook that we're going to be using at IBQ this year. Uh, But then after IBQ, I will then, based on what the rules committee wants to do, um, I am a servant of the rules committee. So based on when they give me the green light, then I will merge that into uh, the actual primary uh, rulebook project. And then that'll, that'll just be part of the regular distribution from then on out. So anyway, if you're interested in getting a preview of that format or getting a, a, you know, a copy of the current rulebook in that format, just email us and, and we'll send you a link. The second thing is on the pnwquizzing.org website, we have various stuff and things for the 22-23 season. So we've got the study materials for Axe all marked up and ready to go. These are also available in CPQZ uh, for folks who want to, you know, start 
writing questions and so forth. Uh, PNW is in the process of writing our question set right now. Then we've got uh, a keyverse list for acts that's available. That's strictly for PNW. Uh, we also have a proposed season schedule for 2223. So if you are in PNW quizzing, uh, I strongly encourage you to go to the website and take a look at that proposed season schedule because we want to make sure we can lock down those dates pretty quickly. A couple of key dates. Uh, the first one is September 17th. That's the scramble meet Saturday only. We don't have a location for that yet, but we definitely need to lock down that date and find a location sooner rather than later. So please uh, be thinking about that. The other one is May 19th through the 21st. So that's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's when we're going to have our district championships. And it will, by popular demand, be at Double K again. So uh, that is May 19th, 20th, and 21st. You'll notice that's fairly late in the, in the calendar for our district championships. We usually like to do it like either the very end of April, very early part of May, uh, but we were uh, uh, talking about pushing it into the latter part of May for a few reasons. Number one, it uh, gets out of certain people's uh, busy calendars. It may be a little bit, hopefully, before graduation for some folks, maybe not for others, but we're hoping that that time works for people. The other thing is uh, hopefully the weather will be a little bit warmer at Double K so that people can actually maybe go swimming or do other kind of fun things out in the forest where there won't actually be like ice and snow like there like there was this year uh at uh, double k so anyway uh these are all proposed dates nothing is written in stone so uh but please uh, encourage your coaches and your churches to be looking at those dates and if there's any kind of problems with any of those dates please email me as quickly as possible so that we can start to make uh, some changes in that schedule and figure out something that's going to work. All right. So all that said, let's switch over to our main topic. Uh, everything you wanted to know about situation questions, but we're too terrified to ask. Scott and I are here for you. So Scott, tell me all the things you know about situation questions. So used only in the quiz seasons where the material type is narrative. That does not mean used only in the quiz seasons where there is narrative content in the material. Um, because I think most of the material seasons have at least a quotation, right, of some right, kind. Right. Um, but only it is exactly half the half of the eight years, right, and exactly every other year is um, designated as a narrative material year, um, and that is the only time that situation questions can occur. Uh, probably just because in the non-narrative material years, the the existence of quotations in the material is too sparse for it to really be a viable question type. You can't really have situations with, you know, nine valid questions for the whole year. And situations are weird. Well, they're weird for a whole host of reasons. But the first thing that's weird about them is the question is, is kind of two parts. Um, one of which is a reading of the material and the other part of which is questions about that specific reading of the material. So it's kind of like one part of it is kind of like a quote or a finish, but it doesn't need to be word perfect. And that is the quotation part where there's a chosen quotation that is really the main – not it's not really the main part of the question. It's exactly half the question. And the quizzer has to say that that quotation – it's what the quiz master starts reading. So this is a question type where the whole question is going to be stuff that's in the material as opposed to a quote question where the whole question is stuff that's not in the material. 
um, or other question types where you, you will at least have an interrogative word that is not part of the material. But on a, quoti- on a situation question, the red question is all part of the material. So that's one half of it. But the other half is kind of questions about that material. And it's called a situation question. The quotation is kind of your situation or your scenario. And these questions are about that scenario. Uh, the questions are very, very specifically defined. So there's mm, seven, which are kind of like the interrogative words that can be used on all question types, um, but also a little bit different. So you can ask who said the quotation. To whom was it said? How was it said? Why was it said? When, where, and about whom was it said? And there are not, as far as actually, there are not any definitions of what what constitutes a who said it or what constitutes a when was it said. We are all just supposed to, based off of our knowledge of the English language and how those interrogative words are are used and like what what they imply. Um, that is how we know what we should ask, um, or how we should use them to ask about a situation question quotation, which kind of makes it murky, right? So for like the, who said it, um, the rule book literally says who said it. And there are places in the Bible. Um, I think there is a place in the quiz material where is it a donkey says something Griffin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and we're left to kind of wonder it's the rule book says who said it. Donkey's not really a who. They are definitely embodying more human traits when they are speaking out loud, as is happening in that biblical passage. Um, What are we to do with that? um, A similar question that I don't believe we have to deal with is uh, when the burning bush talks, right? Um, Is it the bush talking? Is it God talking through the bush? Is that a who? Um, Those are the sorts of questions that you sometimes have to deal with when you are writing situation questions. Um, Or like, how is it said? What is a how? What's a good how? And what's a bad how, even if they're both valid? So I think think we will get into those in a little bit. You want to jump in, Griffin? No, I think you're you're doing great. I mean, uh, I think the... I will say one thing about these questions. The... It's... I would not recommend trying to challenge if you think that the interrogative is misplaced. I mean, some of them can be like, if it's wildly stupid, like if, if it's a, you know, God said it and somebody asked a why or something, which is never going to happen. But I mean, if it did sure fair, that's really, that's definitely bordering on confusion. But for the most part, it's, um, I would not recommend if it was the difference between like a who, and it was the donkey versus, you know, a rock said it or something like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really feel comfortable making that challenge. I think the odds are not in your favor. Um, So, and then of course the reality of this thing is, is in answering it. And maybe this is kind of jumping the shark a little bit, but I mean, ultimately when you're answering what you're trying to do is expand your context a little bit and just start quoting uh, for the most part, because nine times out of 10, if you quote a preamble up to the, up to the quote, uh, that's part of the that's part of the required part of the question. You'll actually get all the answers in there. Yeah, and I mean that advice works on basically every question type except for a reference question, and it yeah. also works on a reference question if you've jumped after the entire question has been read by the quiz master, um, which happens a decent amount of the time because the questions are usually short. Um, and so the normal advice, if you can quote the entire verse. Um, word perfect or close to it, 
you have a really good chance of getting a situation question correct. Now, there are lots of finer points that allow you to um, be even more competitive than that, um, and we'll get into some of those. So, but first, on the quotation portion of the question, it must be a direct quotation from the material by a person or an entity. And I just Googled, like, what's a direct versus an indirect quote and clicked on probably the first uh, result in Google. A direct quote is the exact words taken from an original source um, and used in a second piece of writing. An indirect quote is the idea or fact taken from an outside source and used in a second piece of writing. Um, That second piece of writing uses their own words, but the idea or facts come from the original source. You probably will find differing definitions of direct versus indirect quotes. I have heard people call um, the the quotes in scripture where it's like um, John said... John said, begin quotation, as was said in the words of Isaiah the prophet, small quote, single quote, um, make straight the paths for the Lord. Where, can I ask a make straight the path for the Lord said by Isaiah? Or can I only do the larger quote as said by John, who is repeating Isaiah? Um, and I think, in, I think the idea is that the direct quote is, well, actually, I'm not sure what the idea is. What do you think, Griffin? Do you think? Well, I think it's a direct quote of a direct quote. So I think both of those questions are potentially valid and in scope. I would lean toward the larger quote rather than the inner quote because it's more material. Um, but I think from a legality perspective, I mean, it is it is a direct quote of a direct quote. So I think it conforms to the rules. Right. And this is another area where as the question writer we are trying to decide what do we think is the best interpretation of what the rule book says right much like um the talk on how the different questions can be used about like the about whom or the why i do i do agree with griffin that those are probably not going to be great grounds for a quizzer to challenge question validity unless it is just terrible (laughs) um and so what we're talking about here is more like the question writer kind of has full full responsibility to make that interpretation as best that they can to write the best question and not just something that they deem minimally valid um or well i'm probably not going to get challenged on this anyway so what do i care right so you're trying to like what what do i think is the the most sensible best interpretation and i think what griffin said is right like it is a direct quote of a direct quote neither of them are um like known to be paraphrases um, and so they're both set in quotation marks, single or double, and should be pretty clear bases for uh, a, a situation question. The quotation must not exceed two consecutive verses. Now, what this means is, you know, sometimes Jesus talks for many, many verses, and the question writer can only require or write into the question a maximum of two verses of um, the quotation. Um, the quotation itself could go on for more than two verses, but the question writer can only use up to two verses as the basis for a single situation question. Um, the next part is the first five words of the quotation must be unique to all quotations. And that means all quotations, not just valid quotations. So let's take the Beatitude, Matthew, starting in Matthew 5. So the quotation begins in verse 3, which means that starting, so verse 3 is, a, is the first verse of the quotation, verse 4 is the second verse. Starting in verse 5, um, 
we can't use those as quotations in a situation question um, because actually, wait, I misspoke, right? Well, so technically, yes, practically no, right? So, I mean, the rule book says the quotation must not exceed two consecutive verses. I mean, technically, let's say you have four verses, you could take the middle two verses, according to the rule book. But I think practically we don't do that. No, it, okay, so it says the beginning of the situation question must start within the first two verses of the quotation. So... There it is. So the first two verses of this quotation are verses three and four. So starting with verse five, we cannot um, ask any of those as a situation question. Now, um, verses five, six, seven, because they are um, like they start a sentence, it is otherwise a valid place for a quotation to start. I think that they are fair grounds for comparing the first five word beginnings with valid quotation beginnings. Would you think that? Yeah, I think so. Um, so that's kind of a little wrinkle where, um, but I think verse 10 is blessed are those who are, and it is possible that those blessed are those who, nope, that doesn't, that doesn't exist anywhere else actually. But, um, so what is the takeaway here? So, the first five words of a quotation are compared to the first five words of every other quotation in the material, whether or not it is a valid place for a situation question to begin. Right. That's that takeaway. Um, where are the notes? Where are the notes? The quotation must not exceed two consecutive verses. So this next bullet is interesting. It's the quizzer is not required to repeat the quotation word perfect, but must be substantially close without leaving out key components of the quotation. That is verbatim from the rule book. I was wanting to refresh myself on the rule book, and I found it interesting that like substantially close without leaving out key components of the quotation. Like those concepts don't exist anywhere else in the rule book. Uh, do yeah. you find that interesting? I find it very interesting. I actually think this is a rule book bug, honestly. I think the way we interpret this question is a situation, quote, must be provided in the equivalency of what we would expect from an interrogative, right? It doesn't have to be word perfect, but it must be substantially close to, I mean, certainly it needs to have the same meaning uh, as, uh, as, as, uh, an answer to a, an, an interrogative question. But so I'm not even sure why we have this phrase here. Like if anything, this phrase seems to me to be like useful for any non quote or finish question. Potentially. Right now, if you look at the rule book, the word meaning only appears once and not, um, with regards to a correct, uh, answer. And so sure. There's no concept of like a quizzer retaining the original meaning or getting synonyms that are, you know, are close enough to the, there's no concept of that at all. Um, on all question types, one of the requirements for being correct is um, correct when it contains the information requested, um, which you, you could interpret to mean um, or to mean or to include the idea that you can't change the meaning. Right. Uh, um but well, kind of... I mean, it, you can't change the meaning in the sense that, like, yes, you have to provide something that has the same meaning, but also you can't change the meaning because you can't be incorrect before you are correct. Because if you're incorrect first, then you're just incorrect. Sure, 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 sure. But like, I mean, but that's 
incorrect before you correct is a totally separate issue, right? We're just sure, judging. Sure, sure. We're just judging correct based on what the the quizzer is saying, and if like it contains the information requested, if a quizzer quoted a verse that contains an interrogative question word by word backwards, could you say that they didn't give you an answer that contains the information requested? Yeah, and see, this is where we get into kind of kind of some weird edge casey kind of stuff right because then again we're also coming back to that that i think i even have it ticketed in the rule book as a as an issue that we need to i think i believe needs to be addressed and a lot of other people are like no griffin's overthinking it but i'm like no i think it's actually a (laughs) this is this is important this idea of like the different there is no concept in the rule book difference between providing an answer and quoting and if a quizzer was quote clearly obviously quoting an answer while they're providing an answer but because of their answer that they're providing is actually giving you an incorrect bit of information to the answer that's requested while then after that providing the correct answer nine times out of ten probably 99 times out of a hundred the quiz masters or answer judge is going to accept that as a correct answer even though i think technically it's against the rule book and technically should be counted incorrect. But I think the quiz master and answer judge are actually doing the right thing, but yet not in accordance with the rule book. <laughs> and so like it and it and it's one of those things where like we all just sort of universally agree to kind of wave our hands and say, well, let's just pretend it's not a problem. But I think it actually I think it is a delta between a strict interpretation of the rule book and reality. Right. And so where we started down this road is um the requirement on a situation quotation that the quizzer must be subs- doesn't have to be word perfect, but substantially close without leaving out key components of the quotation. That's not wording that exists elsewhere, um, and it it raises an interesting question about do we really want the the standard on a situation questions quotation to be different from the the quoting standard on an interrogative or a multiple answer? Yeah. And well, and and just to throw this in here, this is a little bit off tangent slightly, but keep in mind the quiz master slash answer judge has to be evaluating this rule in real time and get, get really, (laughs) get very persnickety about it very, very, very rapidly. And this is, it's one of those things where like, uh, because the reason you have to call the quote complete uh, before the, uh, the before the quizzer will uh, will necessarily know to move on to other things. If you don't call the quote complete because they're like, well, they're not word perfect, but they don't have to be word perfect, but they have to be substantially close. Ha- has the quizzer been substantially close or not? Sometimes you can be right on the borderline where you're like, I really don't know, right? So I've noticed in some quizzers, especially at the internationals level, if they're kind of flubbing the quote a little bit, what they'll do is they'll they'll stop after like maybe 15, 20 seconds or something and actually just start providing the answer and then go back to the quote to try to get the quote a little bit sharper. That can actually be a useful idea because I'm, I'm not recommending you do that, you know, out of the gate, but it can be a useful idea uh, if you're if you're not nailing that quote, because then it's like, well, now you have an opportunity to maybe challenge after the fact or give the quiz master an opportunity to count you correct, because maybe you were substantially close. But but in the moment, the, the quiz master just wasn't sure if you were substantially close. Right. So this is one of the two times um, in the quizzing competition 
where the quiz master has to evaluate something subjective and still make a ver- give the quizzer a very, very timely prompt. The other occurrence is on reference questions. When, when the quizzer has fulfilled the, the requirements of the question and the answer on the card, um, the quiz master has to prompt for what is your question. Now, given that those questions are usually much shorter, both question and answer, um, I find that it's usually pretty easy for the quiz master um, to know when to prompt because you're, you're sitting there, you're looking at like nine words and you're like, okay, the quizzer needs to give me the totality of these nine words or at least the, the meaning. Um, and that's usually a pretty simple judgment to take, not always. And so you can say, what is your question? Very, very timely. Because if you delay, again, not defined, (laughs) there is some amount of delay that would probably be misleading and some amount of delay that would not be. Um, But neither of those things are defined by the rulebook. And there are definitely problems with defining um, an amount of delay that then becomes misleading. Um, But that is definitely a wrinkle in the rulebook there. Now, flipping back to situation questions, the quotation could be substantial. Um, and if you've quiz mastered, think about all the times on interrogative or multiple answer questions that you're like, I'm not sure if the quizzer is right. You know, they say a bunch of stuff, their 30 seconds ends, and you take, you know, between 15 and 90 seconds to make your call of if they're right or not. Well, that kind of deliberation happens on situation questions, except instead of 15 to 90 seconds, you have one a max of like one second to make May, that. If, yeah, maybe. <laughs> right. Maybe you have less. Yeah, it has to be done rapidly. Now, it is, on situation questions, it is, um, it can be less timely logistically. I'm not, I'm not talking about anything about the rule book, but logistically, because let's say the answer on the card is 40 words, and the quizzer says roughly 40 words, and you're deliberating, and then they start saying a couple more words, and then you're like, you know what, those first 40 were fine, and you say, quote, is complete. You're not going to really throw off the quizzer because they were saying more words, and then you said, quote, is complete. Um, They'll know, like, oh, the quote's complete, let me go get the answers now. Whereas on a reference question, you are, like, by delaying... And if you delay and the quizzer says more stuff, you've changed their entire like scope that they're evaluating um, upon which they need to give that reference question. So it's slightly you can be slightly less timely on a situation question, but it's still just I mean, the situation question is absolutely the time that I've had to work the hardest as a quiz master because I know it's coming. If a quizzer is like not getting the quote word perfect. And so I'm like, ah, I'm going to have to decide when quote is complete so that I can say it quickly enough to give them full time to get the And it's definitely a really, really difficult situation as a quiz master. Um, usually when you're deliberating on something subjective, you can spend time after the 30 seconds because the quizzer gets their whole 30 seconds. They don't need prompts from you to continue getting their 30 seconds in a meaningful way. Um, yeah, and before we move on to this, I, I want to say something really interesting about situation questions. This is reminding me. Situation questions are the one question where it varies. The difficulty of the question vary for both quiz master and quizzer varies based on the level of competition, and they but they vary differently, which is very interesting. So like at, um, let's say, lower levels of quizzing, right? So uh, introductory meets, rookie meets, uh, consolation quizzes, that kind of stuff. Situation questions are arguably the easiest question 
type to answer, right? Um, so assuming that everybody's jumping really slow, the quote gets completed, all you need is the answer, nine times out of 10, you can probably guess based on a just a general rough review of the material and you'll probably get it correct. So it's an extremely easy question to get at those lower levels. As you go higher and higher and work your way up to, let's say, internationals, at the internationals level, the situation question, it may not be the hardest to answer, because I think that the, maybe the quote twos are are harder. Yeah, probably the quote twos are harder, if it's, especially if they're long quote twos. But the situation question is typically very hard at, say, at the internationals level. Even And, and I'm literally saying it, it's like the exact same question, right? The exact same question in one quiz is very easy and that in another quiz is extremely difficult. Maybe not the most difficult, but but definitely very, very hard, right? Um, just because of the, the speed of the jumping varies the, the, the technical quality of it. From a quiz, and that's from the quizzer's perspective. From the quiz master's perspective, ruling or and not even ruling it's it's handling the question all parts of of the question in terms of reciting it and prompting correctly and ruling on it um i would say from a quiz master's perspective it the difficulty is like a bell curve where at the you know at the very low end it's pretty easy to handle at the very upper end it's also very easy to handle. And in the middle, it's actually really hard, right? Um, because here's the thing. If you've got quizzers who don't know the material, um, but they make a guess at the end of the quotation, it's like, it's pretty easy to rule on that. It's You don't have to do any prompting. It's pretty straightforward. At the upper levels of quizzing, they've got it word perfect. It's pretty, I mean, you, you have to prompt correctly, but that's probably going to be fairly easy to do and they'll get the question correct. But in the middle where you've got folks who like, they've got it decently memorized, but not necessarily word perfect. And as a quiz master, like we're, we're, you know, just like we were talking about, you're having to make those split second evaluations of, is this substantially close? Uh, and, and how do I, how do I adjudicate it and how do I rule on it? Like, I think the hardest part for the hardest part of ruling for quiz masters is actually right in the middle. Interesting. Um, I think I mostly agree, but um, I actually f- didn't think that the ruling, well, sometimes ruling stuff is difficult, but I I found that I needed to focus more on other parts of quiz mastering, um, mainly when, when it was really, really competitive, like Great Western Internationals. I knew that I had to be just perfect on my timing, just so utterly consistent with my lead up, the pause between question and when I started the question, my ability to stop, like everything just needed to be so perfect because differences of a quarter of a syllable mattered so much to the competitors. Um, whereas if I'm, if I'm running a consolation quiz, that doesn't matter to them, right? It's, right, not right. Gonna, it's not gonna make a difference. And so I didn't need to sweat that. But the easier the quiz was, the more of the question I might potentially have to read and the way that I would um, be able to consistently stop as quickly as I could, but also consistently, was I would get the question in my head and just watch the lights. And so I didn't have to look at two things. Well, I can't get a full situation quotation in my head on the fly. And yeah, so that's true. Yeah. I would have to kind of go back and forth. And, you know, in a consolation quiz, you might read every single word of an 18-word quotation. You, it might also get jumped on, on, you know, after three words. Right. Like, you know, you, you get that sort of variability. And so not knowing what's coming as far as jump speed means 
that I have to be prepared to read the whole thing. Um, and so I'm kind of just, my eyes are flitting back and forth between the lights and the question. And I found that it led to me recognizing a light late sometimes or um, not having a flow of reading the question. Because I would read like eight words that I had in my head and then realize no one's jumped yet and have to like pick it back up. And there's like a little hiccup in my timing. Um, but in general, in general, the ruling side was pretty low stress for me yeah 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 no and then that's that that's you know i i concur what i mean is prompting yeah yeah i for me i think the prompting is easy at the low levels and easy at the high levels and hardest in the middle sure sure i would agree with that now i don't know how much we disagree but um i think we disagree somewhat on what makes a question difficult to different kinds of quizzers because i think at the inexperienced levels it is almost always pure amount of material that they have to say is what constitutes 98% of the difficulty. And then flip to, say, the internationals level, I think that how quickly the question takes to become unique is also 98% of the difficulty. I think a quote two is almost um, the easiest question type in internationals. Uh, The fact that it's long, I think, is almost irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, I think, well... You, yeah, I, I see your point. I think I do agree with you on that then. Because, yeah, because I mean, let, let's say, but I mean, I'm, I'm waffling here. Because not every district approaches internationals the same way, right? So like, uh, there are some districts where there are quizzers who don't have full material uh, knowledge, right? And so to a degree, that does make jumping on quote twos harder, right? Because I mean, to, to, to be able to get a quote two at internationals, you have to jump at syllable precision on the number, right? This is this is where you 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 know hopefully you have a you know decent to better than decent quiz master where their their cadence is standardized to whatever that standard is for, like they're 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 whatever cadence they're using it's it's predictable, right? And then you have to zero in your jump to a very very specific part of the verse number. Um, that's really hard to do if you don't have full material and full material word, perfect level. Um, so uh, yeah, but I, I, in general, I, I do agree with you. If you've got word, perfect material, hundred percent of the material, then yeah. I mean, quote questions are actually pretty trivial if you can get the jump. Right. And so then my comeback would be just because someone is competing at internationals, if they don't have either full content or solid full content knowledge, then of course those, types of questions are going to be relatively more difficult for them than someone who does. Yeah, Um, true. true. But I still think, like, if we're looking at the far extremes of quizzers, right, like, one extreme is, I know the whole material, and I could quote it backwards and forwards, word perfect. I think quotes are just about the easiest question type. Now, maybe if we get into um, a gospel year with 80 verse chapters, and everyone is pushing the jump speed so fast that you're just guessing on the verse number, then those become different, but they become difficult for a different reason, right? Well, okay, but 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 let's say let, let's make sure we're clear on this. Quotes at that level are the easiest question type if you get the jump, right? If you win the jump. Um winning the jump on quote questions is possibly the hardest though. Right, right, right. And so um that kind of it's a combination of how long it takes it to become unique and what the winning jumping speed is. Mm. And so that's why I mean I've coached quizzers in John year who knew the material incredibly, but just the pace that CVRs and quotes got pushed to, um, you know, they were struggling to get a 25% 
accuracy um, because otherwise you just kind of don't win a jump ever. And that's a really hard line to walk of do I want to win jumps at this speed, um, which is which is why I think it's so important to have a really varied, well-written question set where if the questions skew easy because, you know, for whatever reason, then people who are pushing that speed um, can get rewarded more than I think that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's a that's a separate issue. So um, how did this start? Oh, this started from the prompting of a quiz master on situation questions. Do you, do you think we've hit that, that part of it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. so. The next bullet is interesting. So it must start at the beginning of a quotation or the beginning of a sentence within the quotation. So um, the beginning of a quotation is – that part is clear. So it's the beginning of um, – it's really just whenever you see quotation marks, right? An opening, mm-hmm. single, or double quotation mark. Um, but the beginning of a sentence within the quotation – so no surprise to you, I went and Googled like hey, – this was when I was a quizzer, I think. What is a sentence? Mm-hmm. And well – would you know it? A sentence is not defined at all in English by the presence of specific um, punctuation. It is completely defined by language and how that language used. And so you cannot say like, oh, sentences only begin after a period. That is not the case. Um, a, sentence, a sentence could start after a colon or even a semicolon or a dash. And so... It's kind of a, a, it's a word that we can't really use well for knowing for sure what is a valid beginning of a quotation. Now, when I'm a question writer, most of the time, um, if there's content after a semicolon, it's not going to be a great place to start the quotation. And so even if it was valid, um, you just shouldn't do it. <laughs> but there are cases where after a dash or a colon, um, it is a reasonable place to start a situation question. So I think that's helpful uh, to let everyone know that a sentence is not defined by something occurring after a period. Um, And keep that in mind. Now, one of my pet peeves is someone who says, ah, um, this quotation goes for four sentences. I will write four separate situation questions, one starting in each of the sentences. Well, I I think you should be looking at the meaning and seeing like, do I want even want to ask a situation question with this quotation that is sentence number two or sentence number three? Um, I've actually pulled up Acts, and there's an interesting place in chapter one, verse 20, um, where open quotation mark for end quotation mark, said Peter, open quotation mark, it is written in the book of Psalms, um, and then another open quotation mark, may his place be deserted, semicolon, let there be no one to dwell in it, um, and, and then another open quotation, may, may another take his place of leadership. So I think it is technically valid to write a situation quotation, quotation that starts at, for it is written in the book of Psalms, one that starts at, it is written in the book of Psalms, one that starts at, may his place be deserted, one that starts at, let there be no one to dwell in it, and another one that starts at, may another take his place of leadership. And I don't think that all of them are good questions. And so... That would be just about my main exhortation to question writers and situation questions is, is this a sensible place where I want to test the quizzer about the quotation starting here? Yep. What else on this? 
A situation question can combine two separate quotations as long as no words are added and the two quotes flow easily from one to another. So that, that verse is a great one, right? So said Peter um, and the word and are in that verse but are not part of the quotation. So I, I could just ask the whole thing. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, may another take his place of leadership. And that would be a, a whole valid quotation for a situation question. Um, and that is... This is a kind of a cool trivia piece of trivia. This is the only time that you can have a quiz question that that contains non-contiguous material. Um, it's very common for answers to contain non-contiguous material. Think a split multiple answer or clarification of a pronoun. Um, but I believe this is the only time it will happen in the in a question. Okay. I don't. I don't think that there's anything. At, oh, um, context. So. Let's say we're in verse 6, um, and I read the quotation, and who said it? And in verse 6, it says he said it, and that he is clarified in verse 1. Um, that would be out of context. And because it's by out of context more than five verses away, it means that I can't ask that as a clarification, right? So context is still in place when you're writing questions. Um, that's not... It's not valid to write for really the simple reason that a quizzer would have to be incorrect to get it correct. <laughs> right. uh, and you can't do that. Now, another question would be, what if, um, what was my next, the quotation starts in verse 6, but the he said it is in the end of verse 5. Can I then ask for a clarification from, of the he from verse 1? Where the clarification is in context of the pronoun, um, but not in context of the start of this question. And I think the answer that we usually come to is no, right? I think we come to it as no because of reasonability, but not necessarily because the rulebook itself prohibits it. Interesting. Because it doesn't say, because the rulebook doesn't say what is the anchor point of context when. Um, the content of a question spans more than one verse. Right, right. Okay. Um, so then we hit if the quotation is split up, the answer to the situation. Well, I didn't even see this bullet, but I hit the next one. Um, and then Griffin has an example. So from Acts 8.36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So the question would be read, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? The quizzer can jump at any point. Um, and the questions being asked here are who said it, when, and where that would be announced at the beginning. Quizmaster would say question one's a situation question. I need to know who said it, when, and where. And I have a question about this. This actually came up with a conversation I had with Andrew a little bit earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday. No, it was, I think it was earlier today. Uh, he asked me, okay, well, given this verse, verse 36, is it, is as they travel along the road, they came to some water. Is that one answer or two? Is it a where or is it a when or is it both? And thus two separate parts. That's a good question, right? And this is this is up to the question writer and feel and style. Um, I feel like it is um, it's either a when or a how. The whole as they traveled along the road, they came to some water which is kind of just describing the situation. Um, I, I have a hard time writing this as where. Um, 
What if you broke it into two parts? I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely not a how, right? How is it said? It's like, well, no, not really. It's, it's more of a when, certainly as they traveled along the road is a when, but then, the, and, and there isn't a then. If there was a then they came to water, I would say like, okay, well, it's two wins. So maybe it's just one win in together. But like they came to some water as they were traveling down the road. You don't see those as two separate things? Um, I could see it, but it doesn't seem very strong to be aware. Um, hmm. Okay. Usually, again, like none of this is written explicitly in the rule book of like, this is aware. So we're just kind of falling back on, hey, if I say like, where were you or where do you want to go? Like, how do we use this in English? Um, and I think the phrase like they came to some water feels like it's just describing what was happening and not like Jesus went down to Jerusalem and said. And so like, sure, they were at some water when this was said. Um, But I mean, and going back to your other point, I think as they traveled along the road could be a how it's not dissimilar from like while walking or while eating. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, so uh, now now generally was it, well, but, but how was it said, right? When you say, how was it said as they were traveling along the road? Mm, Maybe it seems so much more like a where to me or a when, but yeah, yeah, fair enough. But I mean, I guess in, in this debate, we're illustrating the subjectivity of these things. Right. And ultimately as a writer, you're trying to get it as reasonable as you can, which is why when it comes to like a challenge, you really shouldn't challenge unless they're, they're just like, it's way outside the radar here. Right. And the nice thing for the quizzer is you don't have to say, like, these six words are my answer to the when, and these other four words are my answer to the where. You just have to quote it. <laughs> yeah, just provide the information. Yeah, in, in any order, even. Exactly. So, like, there is no requirement for the quizzer to, like, specify which of the multiple situation, potentially multiple situation questions are being answered. Um, you just have to quote it. Yeah. Well, so let's say, let's talk about the situation study habits then. What advice would you give to quizzers who are thinking, okay, well, I haven't, you know, studied situation questions. How would I study these things? And then let's talk a little bit about uh, specialization. Like there is such a thing as situation specialization. Is it worthwhile to do? And does that vary based on the level of competition? Right. So study habits and advice. Um, as with any question type, I would definitely recommend um, memorizing as much material as you can first. That is not a absolute prerequisite, but it, I find it just makes everything else easier. Um, and you don't have to memorize the whole material. Now, you definitely there are things that you gain by memorizing the whole material, um, but I don't think that that's a requirement here. Um, so obviously know as much material as you can. But then when it comes down to specific situation questions, you kind of treat it like you're a finish quizzer. Um, and each quotation is a potential finish. So you just think about it in that scope. You don't worry about the potential situation questions. You just think about the quotations. And um, this is kind of bleeding into specialization. But to me, study habits and specialization go similarly. Because if I'm, if I'm doing study on a specific question type, you're kind of, I mean, I guess, Technically, specialization means that you're doing it to a different degree than other types. Um, But I don't think that that needs to – that's not really a a useful definition in the realm of quizzing, right? Specialization, when it comes to a question type, just means you're putting in extra time focused on one type. It doesn't mean that it's a different level of time 
um, from other types necessarily. Um, but when you're focusing on this type specifically, I'd say start the quotations. And you can go through the material and you can say like, oh, yeah, verses 3 and 4 of Matthew 5, those are valid places to start. But starting at verse 5, it's not. It's the rest of that chapter. I don't have to start it. You know, I don't have to study any of those quotations for the purposes of situation questions. Um, one wrinkle is, let's say in Matthew 5, Jesus is talking, and in verse 25, it says, and Jesus went on to say, um, then that kind of resets the counter because, and Jesus went on to say, is now not a quotation. And so that means that the end of verse 24 would have closed the quotation. And then verse 25, and Jesus went on to say, open quotation. Now we're back in a first verse of a quotation, and that can be used, and the next verse can be used. And then the third verse after the beginning of this one cannot be used. And so as you read through narrative material, um, you will find like big blocks of quote or small blocks of quote broken up with like um, Peter nodded and then Jesus replied or kept talking, or, you know, and that kind of every time you see that close quotation and then an open quotation, it's resetting that first and second verse clock, if you will. Um, but as a quizzer, you assemble this list of valid quotations, just like you're a Finnish quizzer. You sort it alphabetically and you look for, hey, these are all of the quotations that if I get this first half syllable or this first word, there's literally only one it can be. Um, and you find those. And then you find the ones like, hey, these have the first, the same first um, four words. Um, and you know which one you want to pick between them. And you, you just start there um, and get a good idea for how many, like what percentage of the valid situation quotations are unique within one word or one syllable, two syllables, three syllables. Um, and you get a really good idea of, hey, I, if I can get all, you know, I, if I work really hard on my studying and I jump at three syllables, I can get 87% of these correct, um, at least the quotation portion of it. And that kind of knowledge to me is gold, right? So that you can know like, hey, all my competitors are jumping at two syllables. Um, I know from my study that you're only going to be able to get 53% of those correct or something. And then maybe you're watching them jump at two syllables and get them right and right and right and right. And you're like, huh, maybe they're just getting lucky. And I don't want to try to jump at 1.9 syllables and win those jumps. And, and that's really useful knowledge to have. Now, once you are solid with the quotations, then you get to dive into potential situation questions. Um, and this is another one of my exhortations to question writers is you can write up to three. Um, so like when I, when I say three, it's the who said it, to whom, how. Um, doesn't mean you need to force three if they're bad, but it also means that if there are at least three that you think are good, I think you should write that many. Um, the rule book does not say like, hey, if there's at least three good ones, you have you can't write one or two. Um, it also doesn't say like if there's four good ones, you can write four different situation questions on four separate questions on the same quotation, each of which that has one question asked of it. Like who said it on one, how on another, when on another. Um, there's nothing in the rule book about that, which I hate <laughs> because as a quizzer, if I see a quotation that has a fantastic who and a fantastic how – I want to be able to expect them to show up, to, um, but I don't have that guarantee. Now, in my experience, question writers generally won't not write a really good situation question just because they don't have to. And so I kind of resorted to just 
assuming that that would be the case as a quizzer. And when you when you go through the material, um, you might find like, oh, these you know sixty five quotations all have a really good who said it and nothing else good that can be asked of it. Sure, that that's some good information, but not really helpful. But then you might go deeper and you're like, I only found four good why was it said or about whom was it said um, in the whole material. And so if I hear um, who said it and why, I know that I can jump on a mouth shape because the quotations for those four are all wildly different shapes. And you really start to be able to gain an advantage um, based on your study. Um, that definitely includes some assumptions because – the fantastic who said it and how that you found a question writer could just write it as a who said it. Um, and then that doesn't really, you're not able to capitalize on your study, but those are the two steps is, or three steps. The first step is memorize as much material well as you can. Second step is make a list of valid quotations, just like you're making a finish study list. And the third one is for each of those quotations, then go through and look at what are, the potential questions that can be asked on them. And then you kind of assemble a sub list, right? Because if your first list of quotations that you sort alphabetically is all of them, well, once you have labeled them with a potential situation questions, you can create complete sub lists. Like this is my who said it only sub list. This is my who said it and how sub list. This is my who said it, how and when sub list. And each of those sub lists, you just look at that alphabetical list of quotations because you're given the questions up front and that'll be information that you know and if you know because of your study that you hear like how is it said where and why that's one of them there's only one um then you can jump on the the quickest semblance of a mouth shape by the quiz master um and that's fun if you're able to do it yeah, indeed. So from your perspective, is SIT specialization worth it? And does that worth it value change based on the level of competition? I think they're completely worth it um, because that level of study, and it's kind of a filter, right? You've got your potential situation questions and how the quotation starts. Taken together, there is a tremendous amount of really, really quick uniqueness in the questions. Um, and I think that there's a, a tremendous amount to be gained by the quizzer. Now you have to be okay with variability, like just like with any question type, but in this one, you have to be okay with variability in what's asked of you. Um, because as I said, a, a question writer might see a fantastic who and a fantastic why, or maybe they missed the why and they just write it as a who said it. Um, and you know, that's going to mean that now if, if you had your list of who said it only, <laughs> Um, it's now one longer than you thought, and maybe you weren't prepared for this extra one. Um, and you just have to know like, hey, that's a possibility, and I have to shake it off. Um, and kind of factor in that small percentage of variability to um, what you expect to score from these questions. It's, it's not dissimilar from chapter versus reference questions, right? There are going to be a small portion of those 50-50 ones where um, you're, it'll come down to a 50-50 chance and you might get it wrong. Um, that definitely affects the points expectation that you have when you're specializing in that type, but to a small degree. Um, I think that exists for situation questions too. Um, but they can't, they re, I think they require a tremendous amount of material knowledge because you have to know the quotation, you have to know the answers to the situation questions, which aren't always... Um, contiguous to the quotation. Because um, sometimes, yeah, there might be like little connecting phrases that 
um, aren't asked as part of a situation question, but that exist between the situation question and the quotation portion. And then you have those pronoun clarifications that could be one, two, three, four verses back that can make it really, really difficult. Um, I think it makes it a little bit easier now that the quiz master is allowed to say, like, can you clarify them? Um, whereas before, sometimes a quizzer would misquote a phrase. Like, let's say it was, um, he said it, um, and it's Jesus talking. But the quizzer says, he said it to them, and then gives me the quotation. And then I say, clarify. And the quizzer's like, there are two pronouns in what I said. What am I supposed to clarify? But to me, one of them is misquoted. <laughs> Um, or they, it was inserted, but it doesn't, doesn't exist in the material, which by itself doesn't make the quizzer wrong. Um, and so I'm very happy that we changed it. And now it's, can you clarify he? And so the quizzer knows, like, oh, I've got to clarify the he, even if in their head them exists in the material. Um, so I think it requires a tremendous amount of material knowledge. I think interrogatives and multiple answers require breadth of material knowledge because it could be a forward question from anywhere in the material. But there are lots of questions where the question and the answer in some is very little material. And that's pretty rare on on situation questions. Usually there's a good amount of material between the quotation and answering those situation questions. And there's also non-contiguous material, which makes it difficult as well. All right. Cool. Well, and on that bombshell, we should wrap things up. I want to remind everybody that we would love to hear questions, comments, concerns, nagging doubts, fears, paranoia from you. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. That is iq at cbqz.org to be able to send your questions, comments, feedback back into the show. If you disagree with anything, you get front of the line privileges. So we'd definitely like to hear from you. If you disagreed with any uh, thing that we have said on this or any other episode of the podcast you can follow us on twitter our account is at inside quizzing on twitter and you can chat with us in kind of sort of almost real time on the bible quizzing slack forum of inside quizzing and with that i will say thank you all for listening and thank you scott thanks everybody thanks griffin 